How callous of Jesus to praise that poor widow for putting her last two pennies into the plate. Now, what's she going to live on? And how selfish of Elijah to ask that poor widow to feed him first and then care for her son and herself. I mean, what if there weren't enough to go around? Isn't it interesting that we are the ones asking those questions and not the widows themselves? They seem to have no problem with giving the way that they did. Now, that often seems to be the case for those of us those of us who give sacrificially to God know the joys and the benefits of giving and don't question it. It's those of us who do not yet give as God asks that are worried about not having enough for ourselves, are reluctant to give that much, and are offended when someone suggests that maybe we ought to do that. Now, if right now, inwardly or outwardly, you're rolling your eyes and thinking, oh, great, he's going to talk about money. It's not me that you're miffed at. It's Jesus. Because Jesus talks about money a lot. Because what we do with our money and how we share it or not demonstrates whom and what we love most, whom and what we're going to serve, and is a symptom of our spiritual health or lack thereof. So let's take a look at these two widows who gave selflessly and sacrificially to see why they did it and what we can learn from them because though they both gave generously, they did it for different reasons. The widow at the treasury in the gospel lesson came to the temple that day specifically to pray and to give. She didn't give because the temple was going broke. Jesus saw all those folks who were, the rich folks who were throwing a bunch of money into the plate. She didn't give because the roof leaked and she heard they needed a little bit more to help make the repairs. She didn't give as her fair share. She gave because she understands that giving is worship. Giving is one of the ways that we worship. In offering our money, we offer ourselves and our souls and our bodies and our time and our talent and our treasure and putting that cash or that check or that envelope in the plate as it goes by or mailing it in or having your bank send it automatically is just as much an act of worship as singing the songs, as standing up, as sitting, as kneeling, as saying the prayers, as coming up and taking the bread and wine in communion. And not giving, as God asks, is neglecting worship just as much as if we refuse to sing or to pray or to take the sacrament. This widow gave because giving is worship. She gave because she had committed to do so, even when it hurt, even when it looked like she may not have enough to take care of herself. When we do that, when we give sacrificially, God is faithful, and He keeps His promise to take care of us and to meet our needs. He expects us to keep our promises as well. If we commit to give something to God or make a financial pledge, God expects us to follow through. Now, in 1966, when I was 11 years old, I heard my preacher say, God expects us to tithe, to give 10% of our income. Now, at that point in my life, I wasn't paying attention to everything my preacher said, as though anybody at any age actually does. I know that. But at that particular point in my life, that bit somehow grabbed a hold of my heart and my mind, and I decided to do that. Now, my allowance back then was 50 cents a week. 
which in 1966 could buy pretty much anything my 11-year-old heart desired. Four comic books, or admission to a movie, and a Coke, and popcorn, or half of a model airplane. Oh, that life were that simple now. And 10% is easy to figure. All you have to do is move the decimal point one place to the left. So a tithe of 50 cents was a nickel, and I put a nickel in the plate every Sunday. And when my income rose, I did the math, and my giving rose along with it. And so except for three years that I spent far away from God while I was in college, I have always given at least 10% of my income to God. Even for the three years that we were in seminary, when my family of five lived on less than $13,000 a year. Now, the checks we wrote during those three years were much smaller than the ones we write now, but the percentage was the same. It was 10%, and it still is today. And when people find out that Debbie and I tithe, they're always asking, how can you afford to do that? And it's simple. When we get paid, we write our first check to Church of the Messiah. Oh, that we pay the mortgage before we pay anything else, before we take any spending money for ourselves, so that we ensure that we give to God rather than paying everything else first and giving to Him from what's left over at the end of the month, which is easily can be nothing. Amazingly, there's always been enough left to cover all of our needs. We've never missed a meal. We don't have to walk around naked. We've, my children don't have to beg. Our house is warm in the wintertime and cool in the summertime. We may not have had everything we wanted, but we've always had all we needed. God has always been faithful taking care of us, so we are committed to being faithful to give to Him the tithe, the 10% that He asks for. That widow in the story today committed to do the same because God had asked His people to give 10%. That applied to her as well, so she did it, trusting that God would take care of her. She gave to worship. She gave because God asked her to. She gave because she committed to. And finally, she gave out of joy. When she put those two coins in the plate, she didn't know she had an audience, much less the Messiah Jesus watching her. She gave not to impress anyone, but simply because she wanted to. God loves a cheerful giver. And cheerful givers love God. The widow in this gospel story gave to worship. She gave because God asked his people to do so, and she committed to do that, and she gave out of joy. Now, the widow of Zarephath in the Old Testament lesson also gave, but for very different reasons. Unlike the woman in the gospel, the woman in 1 Kings really didn't intend on giving anything that day, but Elijah invited her to. And when he did, she did, with no inkling of the benefits that she might have come her way because of her generosity. Elijah invited her to give, not just to serve himself, but for her to serve God and to serve herself. Because as we move to meet the needs of others, God moves to meet our needs. We've all heard of Hezekiah 4.13. God helps those who help themselves. But you'll never find that in the Bible because there is no book of Hezekiah. And nobody in the Bible ever really said that. That comes from Poor Richard's Almanac from Ben Franklin. Okay? And Poor Richard was wrong, which is probably why he was poor. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who help others. The economy of God 
works on the pass-along principle. God gives to us, He expects us to pass it on, and as long as we're passing things on, the blessings continue to flow, and they flow to us and through us into others. And when we stop, God stops, or at least slows down. That's because God has made us to be hoses. Hoses? It's alive. Hoses and not buckets. Now, you know how this works. If you have a bucket full and you give something away, sooner or later, there's nothing left. But if there were a hose and, oh, over in the other place, it looked like I actually had it hooked up. So when I started pointing it, people went, because you know if this end was hooked to the, to the wall, that I could do this all afternoon long and get all of you wet and never run out. And that's how it works in the kingdom of God. As long as we allow ourselves to be hoses and God's blessings to flow through us, God's blessings also flow to us. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. And that's what God asks us to do. The fear, of course, is that if I give too much away, there won't be anything left for myself. But that fear is not from God. That is one of the works of the devil that Jesus came to destroy that we prayed about earlier in the colic today. When we're generous, however, we experience the same thing that that widow did with Elijah. She shared her food, and God stretched what she had all the way through the rest of of a several-year famine. When we contribute toward meeting the needs of others, God promises to meet all of our needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He did that for the widow of Zarephath. He's done it for my family. He'll do it for anyone who gives Him the chance. Elijah invited that widow to give so that God would give to her He also invited her to give because in giving, she became a partner with God with what he was doing on earth. Now, God could have taken care of Elijah without any human help. Earlier in the same chapter of 1 Kings, God sent ravens with food to feed Elijah. But this time, God chose to pull that woman in as a partner. When we give, we become partners with God, players participants in the kingdom, touching lives, influencing events, making help, making our little part of the planet a little bit more like the kingdom of God. Now, through my family's giving over the years, we have been partners with God several places in the world, sequentially, okay? When my kids were small, we supported Juan Carlos, who was a boy in an orphanage in El Salvador, the same age as my middle son, Corbin, who's now 33. Well, until Juan Carlos grew up and left the orphanage on his own, we were the hose through which God fed, clothed, sheltered, and educated him and gave him all kinds of opportunities he never would have had otherwise. Now, after Juan Carlos graduated and moved out on his own, over the years, our family supported a a seminarian family. And then when they graduated, we picked up and supported a missionary in Israel. And then we supported a missionary in Latin America. And then one on an Indian reservation. And then one in an American inner city. And currently, Debbie and I support a 17-year-old boy, Rando, in the Dominican Republic through Compassion International. It is a joy to know that my family has made a difference, not just here in the Messiah family, 
But in the world, one child, Juan Carlos and Rando, one person, those missionaries in those different places, one seminary family at a time. The widow of Zarephath gave because God, through Elijah, asked her to. Now, she may or may not have understood why or known to expect any benefits from her giving, but she did it because God asked. If you have found none of these reasons that I'm giving you for giving to be compelling, the bottom line is God asks us to do that. God asks us to. He promises blessings if we do it. He withholds blessings if we don't. Giving benefits us, not God. You know, if God wanted something, he can either make his own or take it away from us. But that's not how he works. He works through us, asking us to contribute. It's only as we pass along the blessings of God that he then blesses us. Remember, we're hoses, not buckets. Now, we've heard about two widows today who gave selflessly and sacrificially. And if it's not our custom to give that way, how can we become more like them? What is it that we could do to begin believing that maybe this joy of giving stuff is actually true? Well, the way to find out if it's true or not is by trying it, by taking a risk and giving giving a try. God invites us to do just that to test him in this. Malachi chapter 3 says, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse, says the Lord. Test me in this and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out, bless you so much that you won't have room enough to hold it. Will you dare to try it? Will you choose to have the faith to test God in this? I invite you, if it's not your custom already, to tithe for a month. Try it for a month. And if you find yourself destitute, you can always go back to giving whatever it was you gave before. But if God is faithful and He actually does what He says He will and you discover the joy and the blessing of giving, it could be the beginning of a deeper friendship with God. It could be a deeper appreciation for how much God loves us and takes care of us. And it is also the opportunity to be a partner with God to change the world. Now, if you do not currently give to God anywhere close to 10% of your income, I dare you to try it. I dare you to try it. Or even to take a significant step toward that proportion. God says, test me in this. See if I won't bless you when you do it. But the only way to find out is to try it. 